Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. You can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. All right. So the season's basically over. Yes, there are two games left to go, but the Predators have been eliminated from the NHL playoffs. Mercifully, finally, we have a lot of stuff to get to. Some good is UC Saros legitimately a Vesna Trophy candidate. Uh, how do we define the 2023 season in the moment? There certainly is going to be lots of time for the autopsy, Michael. But for now, how do we define this season right now in the moment while the while the wounds are all very fresh? How are we going to define that season? Um, uh, of course, this team has had opportunities throughout the course of the year, and you've pointed this out the entire season, that this team has had opportunities in big moments to come up big and has failed to do so. We'll run down a list of some of those. Obviously, the loss to the Jets over the weekend in what was a complete whitewashing largely by the Jets um, was just the latest and the final uh, sort of nail into the, the Preds coffin. At this point, we'll, we'll take a look at John Hines because the two things can be true in my mind about John Hines. And we will explain what all of that means uh, throughout the course of the show. However, the gold standard is brought to you by Michael Gallagher, wordsmith himself, by who? That would be Jaspers. It would be Jaspers. I it have, is Jaspers. I have multiple listeners ask me. Um, they ask me. They go, "Like, does Michael like Jaspers?" And I'm like, "Yes, he does. He every, every time he's been, he raves about it." <laughs> it's part of the mystery. I like to get people guessing whether or not I'm a Jaspers fan or not. <laughs> yes, that's what they're paying us for. Uh, so go to Jaspers, of course. <laughs> Listen. There are two Preds games technically left at the time of this recording, uh, but there's a lot of stuff still coming for you guys throughout the course of this offseason. It is it's probably the most would you would you say it's the most important offseason in franchise history potentially? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, this is this is going to be the first time ever except for when David Poyle was hired back in 1997 that they're going to have a different general manager. I mean, I don't understand. I don't see how there could be another aside from the very first offseason or very first season when they're constructing the team how you could argue that this is there's anyone that's greater than this season right here which is why you stick with jaspers they're proud partners of the Nashville predators of course they've got the free game room free parking brand new menu items the thai barbecue salmon they got eggplant parm i'm not a, i don't eat eggplant parm my wife loves it though so we're gonna go check that out of course the gold standard cocktail named after this year show so even though we like we've got stanley cup playoffs to talk about we've got the most important offseason in predators history there's a general manager transition the most important nhl draft in franchise history which will be in nashville we will have you covered through all of that so don't go anywhere uh here with you nashville predators fans and we don't think you are uh rate review subscribe and tell somebody about the show because uh, obviously we're going to come into this season next year and in, in a couple of months in a very very different spot as a very as a franchise and that may or may not include John Hines. We'll discuss some of that today on the show. But go to Jasper's, of course, support local business. They've been serving the market uh, for three decades, Four Top Hospitality has. So make sure you check out Jasper's, of course. Free parking, great game room, free game room, I might add. Uh, and, of course, proud partner of your Nashville Predators. We like them, so you should, too. Go check them out. Okay. Um, I want you to kind of – you brought this to my attention throughout the course of these shows about the big game moments – and I think I could trace it back to Arizona and the final seconds of last season when they all they had to do was finish off the worst team in the league, essentially, to not play Colorado. I don't actually use the Colorado series, Michael, as a part of this conversation because UC Saros wasn't playing. Um, I think that just sort of is what it is. But we know they went you know, 3-0 and after that meeting, the players-only meeting, and then they 
proceeded to to get smoked by Vegas. They barely beat Philadelphia. They lost to Arizona and they got smoked by Boston. Um, so coming right off the the momentum of the meeting, all of that was lost. They had they got beat at home by Chicago on March 16th. They had two games with Seattle, an opportunity two games back to back near the end of March to to really gain in the wild card standings, and they gave up eight goals and gave Seattle all four points. Um, uh, so I, they've had opportunities and once again against Winnipeg on Saturday, an opportunity and they missed it. So I, I don't, I, I don't know if you have any other games to add to that list, but it's not been a, it's when, when, the, when the going gets tough, as they say, uh, the predators had opportunities this year and it, they just didn't, they just didn't finish the deal. And that's why they're not in the playoffs in 2023. Yeah. I thought it was interesting too, looking at the, the season schedule, they had 15 losses in one goal games. You would think if they could have just won a third of those, they last night would have even mattered. They would they would have already been, I don't want to say comfortably in the playoffs, but they would have had an easier road to get there than than they are. And and that's something that they've struggled with a lot, especially under John Hines, particularly in the last two three years, is closing out those one goal games. And we said it, I believe we said it last year that if they would have just had one or two more wins and won some of those one goal games, the Arizona game at the end of the year wouldn't have mattered. Um, just one of those things this this team has trouble closing out close games because they don't have no disrespect to philip forsberg they don't have that dynamic connor mcdavid nathan mckinnon like goal scorer that can close out a game for them and they're putting too much on uc saros the, the guy is is being asked to do way too much so when you have a goaltender that's just exhausted and an offense that can't give him any goal support like 15 losses in one goal games are going to happen that's that's something that needs to be addressed is is there is there their skill to be able to play from behind and maybe hold off a team or hold to keep on hold on to like a, a big three nothing lead because they they blow a lot of of multi goal leads as well and then just being able to play when your back's against the wall when the pressure's on this team collapses and that's the biggest thing I noticed within this year is when the expectations were off all uh, after the trade deadline and nobody expected them to do anything they make a run at the playoffs when it was the exact opposite of what we were thinking so those are two things that I think definitely need to be addressed in the off season is. They need to go out and find a score, and they need to find a way to be able to rise to the occasion when the pressure is on. Because 15 losses in one goal games, I think that that's a telling story of why this team struggled so much and why it came down to game 80 before we knew whether they're going to be in or out of the playoffs. And, and look, there's a, there, again, two things can be true about John Hines, and we'll explain what that is in a little bit. But and again, some of that is not dealt a great hand. But he's had opportunities with healthier teams. He's had opportunities with better teams, and still sort of had this same problem. I, I think, you know, that that loss to Chicago at home still had a, a lot of the, the good players on the team. Um, so I, I don't know. The, the meeting was still, the roster was still full at the time of the meeting. And they come back and lay an egg after that. Um, I don't I don't blame him as much for going up to Winnipeg, you know, with a team that's loaded with, you know, AHL players and none of your stars. And you go up and you get beat by a, a playoff team, like on the road. Like I... But it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity that once again th- that they missed. And yeah, yeah but I they also they also beat Seattle and Boston and Vegas and Carolina and Calgary with an AHL roster too. Yeah, so that's I mean true. that's I, I understand the reasoning, but also like we've we've seen this roster that's largely an AHL roster go out and beat legitimate playoff teams for whatever reason. Winnipeg has has become like Dallas, where it's Nashville's new kryptonite. Well, and they and that's what's funny is they beat them as a part of that stretch right after the meeting, right? Like they had the meeting and they beat Winnipeg and 
they get all that momentum and and then it just sort of crumbles uh, and you're right though i think it's it's funny you say that cuz i noticed it too like they've beaten really good teams lately with their quote unquote ahl roster um and i i'll correct myself they gave 3 points to seattle not all 4 i i, I apologize but they did give up 8 goals in two games against seattle and gave them 3 points as they were chasing them in the playoffs and it just it is a long stretch now of every time they've had to step up to the plate to sort of save their season. It hasn't really worked in the biggest of moments. It's worked in like the other moments, I guess you could say. And some of that is a credit to the young players and to John Hines and to Carl Taylor and the organization. But um, the season is is over uh, in terms of making the playoffs. It's the first time in what eight years that they are going to miss the playoffs. Um, yep. uh, I believe Barack Obama was president <laughs> the last time they missed <laughs> they missed the playoffs. Uh, so it's been a long time since the Nashville Predators fan base is going to be sitting at home and watching the entire Stanley Cup playoff chase and tournament at home. And that that's a big deal. However, whatever cards you've been dealt, that's a big deal. And fans are OK. It's OK for fans to be upset about that, even as all of the different ups and downs of the season have taken place. And a lot of them we understand. But it's still just a tough place to be when a fan base is con- is used to being in the postseason every single year, and and now they are not, and that's a big that's a big shift for this organization. Yeah, and it's I don't want to say this the fan base has been spoiled. They got a taste of the good life with the Stanley Cup final run and all that, and now I think it's kind of expected to get be like the expectation isn't just to get to the playoffs; it's to win playoff series. And I think this is the, like we talked about earlier. This is going to be one of the the crucial off seasons for this team. Is where do they go from here? We talk about John Hines, whether he's going to be brought back, which players will be brought back, stuff like that. But this is, I think, we're we're really going to see one. We're going to see what Barry Trotz can do as a first time general manager, and how much David Poyle is working with him, and how much influence David Poyle has over some of the decisions Barry Trotz makes. But it, it's going to be this is this is I hate using the term like they're at a crossroads because that's just such a cliche, a sports cliche in particular. But they really are like this is where we're going to find out yep. where does this team go? Is is Barry Trotz cut out to be a general manager? Is he getting the right information from the right people? Like I, I said, the the three assistant general managers calling them his cabinet. Are they going to are they going to help him out? What players are coming back? Big decisions on Matt Duchesne, Ryan Johansson. I mean, Philip Forsberg, Roman Yossi, and Ryan McDonough are all pretty much locked in because of their no movement clauses and, and whatnot. But we're gonna we're gonna see what what direction this team is going in because I, I don't think it's gonna be something where they're like, okay, we missed the playoffs one year, let's just get back to the playoffs. Like I think they Barry Trotz wants to build this thing to be be sustainable and have long term success, not just getting to the playoffs to appease the fan base. Is there is the is I don't mean to keep bringing up Ellie Tolvanen, but he's got 16 goals and 11 points in uh, 46 games, which would be a career high across the board just in his 46 games with the Seattle Kraken. Of course, a team that's got 100 points and is going to make the playoffs um, and a really fun team to watch. Frankly, if you had to point to one moment, is it the Forsberg injury? Is it a particular losing streak? Is it? the Ellie Tolvanen incident, because there's just no way to, to, as we sort of move on to how do we define this season in the moment? Cause again, I think, I think it's okay as time goes on and as draft picks are acquired and as players develop that we can kind of look at this season through a different lens, maybe later in the summer, maybe next year, two years down the row, we might view this season differently, but all we have is, is sort of the, the information in front of us. And at, and at the time it is, a disappointment. They did not make the playoffs. They were trying to win and get better last offseason. We thought David Poyle did an excellent job. 
I, I think you could point to the Ellie Tolvanen waiver wire d- decision as maybe the turning point in the entire franchise. Is that too much gravity to this one particular decision that you and I both have said a number of times is one of the worst decisions we've seen the Nashville Predators make? Either, either if you put it on Hines or Poyle, either one, both, whatever. Is there a different moment that you point to that says this was the turning point of the year? No, I mean, the answer is yes and no. Like, it might be giving it a little too much weight, but also it's hard not to give it that much weight because if you if you ask, like, the normal, rational Preds fan, what what are some things you remember most about this season, a lot of them are going to come at you with giving Ellie Tolvanen away for nothing. And, like, and honestly, like, that... Like the, fir- like the first thing they say. Yeah, yeah. and that... And that when you point to that particular moment, what it does is it makes the franchise as a whole look bad. It makes John Hines look incompetent and it looks, it makes David Poyle look incompetent because they, the whole reason they exposed him to waivers was because they said he wasn't good enough to crack the lineup here. And he's, and this wasn't a great lineup when he was still on the team. Like he was getting beat out by Cole Smith and Mark Jankowski and Zach Sanford, Kiefer Sherwood, players like that. You let him go, you expose him to waivers, and you and you try to sell the fan base that you legitimately thought he was going to get through waivers. A 22 year, 21-22-year-old, former first-round pick that set a rookie KHL scoring record, you legitimately thought was going to sneak through waivers and no one was going to claim him. And then he goes off to have a fantastic season, second half of the season with the Kraken. And, it, and it's showing, and it's, not, and it's not just that he's putting up points, like the guy is scoring goals, which is what he is known for. So clearly that is showing if he has a coaching staff that knows how to use him, you can get a lot out of him. So it just made John Hines look very incompetent that he did not. He one, he couldn't figure out how to get the kid into the lineup and two, he couldn't figure out how to use him properly. And then it also made fans question David Poyle. He redeemed a lot of it with the trade deadline moves he made, but it also made fans question David Poyle of why, if, if you believed in Ellie Tolman, why did you let John Hines bully you into getting him off the team? Or if you legitimately did not think he was good, then why did you just waste the first three, four years of his career? Uh, he debuted for Seattle on January 23rd. The Preds record at the time was 22-18-6. They are 41-31-8 at time of taping, so they are technically better 19-13-2 since, since he debuted for Seattle than they were with him. Uh, I don't I wouldn't think say they're technically better. Their record is better, <laughs> right, right. but they're not a better team without him. No, I, I completely agree. And again, his numbers, 16 goals, 11, point, 11 assists, 27 points in 47 games for Seattle would all be, uh, excuse me, he had 12 assists uh, uh, last year for the Preds. So he would he needs one more assist to tie his assist record, but his goals, his points alone would be career highs in just a Seattle uniform. I want to make sure that's clear. In just 47 games, he has set career highs for goals and points. Um, and and I think, listen, I don't. When we try to define the season, I think disappointment is the word that comes to mind. But there, but it comes with, and this this eventually we'll get to our conversation with Hines. It comes with, I think, plenty of optimism. By the way, the last time the Preds missed the playoffs, of course, was the last year Barry Trotz was the head coach. Um, so it's all full circle here. I, I, I'm trying not to get into the Heinz conversation yet because that's such a big part of this. Because I, again, two things are true with him, but I don't know how you, they drafted Kevin Fiala. I right. I don't know how you don't define the season in the moment as all right. Now that they've been eliminated and they're going to miss the playoffs for the first time in in basically a decade, it's hard not to say this is just a disappointing season with all the injuries. It doesn't mean that David Poyle didn't make the most of it. It doesn't mean it's not going to set up the franchise long term. For, for success now that he's stepping away, but there's no way you, you can define this season as anything other than disappointing. 
Yeah, and I mean, it, it's hard to... I think it is a disappointment, but I think some fans would also say, given the moves that were made at the trade deadline and given Barry Trotz is taking over and John Hines may or may not be brought back. Like, I think, I think it's disappointing, but there's also little glimpses of like, of hope in there just because, I mean, if you have Tommy Novak and Cody glass and Tomasino and all the young kids playing significant roles next year, you, you get rid of one of Duchesne or Johansson, you bring in an elite scorer or a top end score with UC Saros, like this team can, can really legitimately be competitive next year as well. So it's just one of those things that looking at it, it's disappointing, but also they fought till game 80 before they were fully eliminated from the playoffs. They made a a Cinderella esque run after the deadline with an AHL roster that no one really thought they could do. So I do think there are like little glimmers of hope in there for some of the fans too. So it's, you kind of take the good with the bad, I guess. Uh, I'm just full yeah. of cliches today, apparently, but <laughs> I think it's, I think be disappointed, but also be hopeful. You have two first round picks in a, in a loaded draft that you're hosting in your city. You have the number 10 farm system in the NHL. You have a lot of talented forwards that could theoretically crack this roster next year and be playing regular minutes. There's a lot to kind of be excited about. Uh, so this season, 39 different players have been used by John Hines and the Predators. 34 players, different players, have scored a point for this team. Last season, that number was 27 players scored a point, 33 players. So you're talking about an increase of about you know, 15 20% in terms of players and injuries and um, trades and all that stuff, which I guess is to be expected in a year of transition. But th- this all leads us to, to the John Hines conversation. And we'll get we'll get into the Stanley Cup playoffs a little bit. What series you're most looking forward to? Because I think there's one. I do have a couple stats I want to throw out before we switch to John Hines that kind of put oh, this okay. in perspective yeah, yeah. as well. So if Tommy Novak scores two more points in the final two games, this will be the first time since 2013-14 that Philip Forsberg won't finish in the top three in points on the team. Wow. And then Roman Yossi is at 59 points. So if he um, if he doesn't score, obviously he's probably not going to come back and play. But if he doesn't score again this year, it'll also mark the first time since that 2013-14 season that the Preds won't have a one 60-point player in a full 82-game season as well. That's that, not having a 60-point player is nuts. Yeah. When, you look, when you look at the leaders around the league um, in, in every category, goals, assists, points, it's... It's like the ultimate Nashville Predator <laughs> thing to do. Um, I do love, like, no, again, there are plenty of good positive stories. The Novak story is extraordinary. If he gets to 43 points in what will amount to 51 games, as again, as we talked about last week, as basically a rookie, uh, that, that, I mean, he, you might have a top six forward. I think uh, Gover said this on, on It's All Your Fault. He might be already solidified as a top six forward next year. Uh, is he a, is he a star? Is he going to be able to continue this? Is it a little bit of Tanner Janot? Who knows? But um, for now, you got to like the production. Um, I mean, if he's putting up this production now, playing with a lot yeah. of other young 20, 21, 22-year-olds, imagine what he could do if you put him in the top six next year with a Ryan Johansson or a Matt Duchesne or whoever whoever else you plug in there. Yeah. Uh, by the way, just a, a, a quick note, uh, as we were talking about um, Ellie Tolvanen, uh, Matthias Ekholm right now is plus 26 in 20 games. For the Edmonton Oilers, <laughs> just I don't know who they're going to draft with that first round pick that they're getting from Edmonton, <laughs> but that that trade's going to hurt when you look back on it. Unless unless they somehow package that first round pick or they just hit a home run on someone, 
that trade's going to look bad in a, in a few years because Matias Ekholm, I still think, is in his prime and he's an elite top 10 defenseman. Plus 26 in 20 games. That's some Ryan Ellis shit right there. Um, all right, so so UC Soros, Vesna Trophy, uh, candidacy. We'll get into the Stanley Cup playoffs in terms of which potential matchups you're most looking forward to or do you want to see. We'll do more of a Stanley Cup playoff preview next week on the show. Um, and sort of a, a, a statistical decomposition and autopsy of the of the team once the season is actually over. Um, but and, and also Boston, we got to talk about Boston at the end of the show, just because holy cow. Um, but Heinz Heinz is a big part of this this conversation, of course. Uh, here on the Gold Standard, brought to you by our wonderful and amazing friends at Jaspers. So, I, I I think two things are true with John Hines, and I think this is the most important perspective for Predators fans to have right now in this moment because it stings that you're not making the playoffs two things can be true that John Hines has never really been dealt a full deck of cards or a full hand I don't even know if I got the right analogy there he's never really been dealt a full hand that he had a very young inexperienced team in New Jersey that he this year he had the pandemic shortened season with the play in tournament bubble nonsense in Canada and then the weird bizarre season after that that was shortened and started in January and then this year he had all the injuries and they traded all the players away that is true all of that context is true about John Hines but here are other things that are true about John Hines he has been a head coach in the NHL for eight years four times he has missed the playoffs he has never won a playoff series, and not one time has he finished higher than fourth in any division he has ever coached in. Here are his division finishes. <laughs> here are his divi division in eight seasons as a head coach. Here's how he finished in the division. Seventh, eighth, fifth, eighth, fifth, fourth, fifth, and fifth. At some point, you kind of just are what you are. He was never dealt a full hand, never had a fair shake, dealt with some extremely difficult circumstances. No question that that is all true. But this, th the facts of this coaching resume are what they are after eight years. I I'm sorry. Like, no playoff series win, no finish higher than fourth in a division, four times into the playoffs, four times out of it. You are what you are, Michael, at some point. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to argue numbers. Numbers never lie. I mean, he was John Hines was brought in to be an upgrade over Peter Laviolette, and he has been worse. Peter Laviolette's uh, points percentage six sixteen. John Hines is five seventy seven. Peter Laviolette thirty two playoff wins. John Hines three. And I was looking at comparing their their career records and stuff, and obviously just looking at seasons with the Predators. Peter Laviolette's worst season with the Predators is almost equivalent to John Hines' best season as the Predators head coach. It's it's hard to argue. This team hasn't gotten any better. I mean, you could you could argue, okay, the first year, maybe the second year, just because of the two COVID shortened years and, and adjusting to a new team and stuff, like give them a little bit of grace. But you look last year, this that was his best season. They went 45, 30, and seven with 97 points. And they got swept in the playoffs. <coughs> UC Sorrows. Yeah. They didn't have UC Sorrows. So that played that no, factored no, no. into I, it. I mean, his long stretches of winning hockey can largely be tied to UC Saros' best hockey. Oh yeah, for sure. So. And it's just it's hard to sit there and look at how this how this team performed under Peter Laviolette and you, you understand the reason why they make the coaching change, but uh, at some point this is what I don't get. David Poyle was very quick to admit the Ellie Tolvin mistake, that was on him. He's like, "My bad. That could be really bad and I take credit. I take full responsibility for that." 
why aren't you doing that with John Hines when the numbers clearly say he's an average coach? He may be a good coach on an underwhelming team that's rebuilding or whatever. Send him to Arizona. Let him rebuild the, the, the Coyotes. He's not the right coach for this team right now. And I, I reported last week that kind of been hearing rumblings that he might have done enough to save his job just because they came so close to the playoffs. It's it's going to be a, a quote-unquote rebuilding year. The, the roster might look different. Maybe you give him one more year. And if you promote Carl Taylor to the to the NHL roster, and then if you fire midseason, like it would make sense to just go to Carl Taylor. Like there's all the things that you could sit there and say, like, okay, I could see him get I can see him earning one more year, being given one more year. But just looking at the the cold hard numbers and the facts of of, of what's going on in front of us, like it's hard to sit here and like John Hines may still have a have a job. And it's just looking at the numbers and how bad he's been and how underachieving this team is. If it wasn't for UC Saros. John Hines would not have a job right now. So it's just, it's hard to sit here and wrap your head around the fact that he may be brought back. I, I hope he's not. I'm nothing against him personally. I just think this team, right. if you're going regime change and you're going full new GM, franchise changing everything, get a new head coach out there. Yeah. It, and, and again, he's 10 games over 500 right now. He's not a bad coach. Let's be very clear about this. Like, this isn't sports talk radio where we just go on there and go, oh, he sucks. So and so sucks. It was terrible. He sucks. Like, no, he's a fine coach. He's probably even a good coach, but but good doesn't do it. Good's not enough. The this this fan base wants great. This fan base wants Stanley Cup competition. This fan base wants top two or three in the division. And he's they, never they finished. want a John Cooper or a Jim Montgomery type of head coach. He, they, he's never finished higher than fourth in the division. He's finished fifth in the division four times. A, at some point, if you are great, even with a bad roster in New Jersey even with the hand you've been dealt with COVID and even with all the issues this season, at some time, at some point, if you are elite, if you are great, we would have seen it by now. And so again, he's not a bad coach. He doesn't suck. Like this is, again, this is not hot take radio here. He's fine. He's, he's like the Colin Wilson of head coaches. Colin, it was the same thing with Colin Wilson. You kept waiting <laughs> for him to ascend and be elite. And he just wasn't. And at some point you had to just be like, okay, Colin Wilson's a, a fine player. He's, he's, you know, he's, Maybe 20 goals here or there, maybe 40, 50 points here or no, there. No, but no. For, for the most part, he's Craig he, Smith. He's, just, he's fine. He's Craig Smith. He's not, he's not Colin Wilson had was, I, Colin Wilson was not good enough. He didn't, he wasn't 10 games over 500. Like Craig, Craig Smith, Smith was a top six player for most of his time here in Nashville. I think that's giving him a little too much credit. I, no, I think no, Colin see this, Wilson, but Craig Smith's not really a top six player anywhere else. Like he's, he, he is a fine here. Craig Smith is fine. He's a good player. He's t- 21 goals per season. He's a good player. He's not great. He's not elite. He's not bad. He doesn't suck. He's good. He's fine. That's what John Hines is. He, and, and, and it's not like you said. I heard Teresa say this. Everyone has a ton of respect for him personally as, as a human being. There's not, this is not personal. But at some point, you are what your record says you are. And if you've got eight tries as a coach in any sport and you cannot finish higher than fourth in any division you've ever coached in, you're just not you're just not elite. You're not great. And I think the Preds can go find someone and take the risk to go try to find someone who could be elite or great. And that's that's risk reward. That's every GM in every sport. That's every athletic director in every sport. They have to weigh the risk and reward. And, and it'll be easier for them to sell this team to a new coach now, maybe more so than it would have been a year or two from now, because you can go to them and be like, Luke Evangelista, Philip Tomasino, Tommy Novak. We have UC Saros, Philip Forsberg, Robin Yossi. 
we have two first round picks this year and next year we have so much draft capital like if ever there is a, a time for them to go and sell the franchise to a potential new head coach a first time head coach maybe you go get someone out of the college ranks i don't know but if you're going to if you're going to try to bring in that that sexy flashy name like this is probably the best situation to sell it to someone be like you're going to have a young roster full of young talented high draft picks you're also going to have more high draft picks that you can use to get players that you want as well you have a Vezina caliber goalie. You have a Norris caliber defenseman. Like this is this is a good nucleus to build around if you're if you're a new head coach coming into a new situation. It is an it is a very attractive situation for someone who wants to make a name for themselves in the NHL. Carl Taylor <laughs> or Phil Housley. I'm I would go with Phil Housley I'm over not, Carl, Carl look, Taylor. Just my personal opinion, but I like I like Phil Housley too. Um, uh, what what I think what I think is interesting is. Like, uh, again, it's two things are true, folks. And we'll wrap up the conversation with this because we don't know what's going to happen. We'll see. Um, There is a chance he's retained. There's a good chance he's not. We'll we'll see. I I think the the two things are true. It's, It's okay to say, man, John Hines, you didn't get a fair shake. But you've had eight years to prove that you are great, that you can build a Stanley Cup champion. And it's just not happening. So it's okay at some point to say, look, it's just... It's not you, it's me. <laughs> it's time to it's time to 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 have to take a little break here. Um all right, let, let's uh, we'll get next week we're going to have an even more thorough statistical because again, 20 what 28th in goals goals scored, 27th rated power play. There's there's other stuff we could go deeper on with this this team this year. That's and what was interesting is the offense the didn't get any better but they somehow were pulling out wins. Yeah, it's it such an anomaly. Number 74, which we'll get to in just a minute. Um, go to Jasper's, everybody, of course, proud sponsor of this year podcast. Of course, local, locally owned and serving the Nashville market for top hospitality has been for like th- three decades, more than three decades. They got Amerigo, they got Char, they got Etch, etc. But Jasper's is your spot to watch games, bring the kids. It's extremely versatile. It is the five-tool baseball player. It is the two-way, 200-foot forward uh, it is the guy that can do everything, free parking, great game room, great menu, new menu items every single time. You will not be disappointed with the menu because they've got kind of something for everything. If you want brunch on Sundays, they got it. They got drink specials. If you want happy hour, they got it. They got $10 burgers, smash burgers, and $3 beers during the last two Preds games. Um, you can go watch the rest of the Stanley Cup there. All kinds of uh, really good stuff at Jasper's. And again, you could take you could take the missus. You can take the spouse. You can go on a date. You can go business lunch. You literally can do anything at Jasper's, and that is sort of the fun of what they offer. And uh, you guys should go check them out. Jasper's is a good spot to go. Right, Michael? Right, buddy? Exactly. It is. Truth to everything you just said. Oh, my God. Two sentences? I got two sentences out of you? <laughs> I'm working That's on it. it. That's it. End of ad. <laughs> All right. Let's get to, to UC Soros Vesna Trophy candidacy. There's certainly been a lot of advanced metrics floating around out there. Uh, about him uh, let me give you some not advanced metrics here uh michael <laughs> the unadvanced metrics the inadvanced <laughs> metrics uh just they're just a regular old stats uh, as they used to say he's number one in the nhl in saves 1907 saves by almost 100 saves number one in the league in saves number two in wins uh excuse me number two in, in uh starts 62 starts this year uh, obviously not quite down from last year as we expected, but a little bit number eight in wins. He's got 32 wins on the season. He's about number 20, give or take on who you, who you kind of count as qualified goaltenders in terms of goals against average. So that's not elite 2.69. He's number eight in save percentage at 919. He is number five goals saved above average at over 30 goals saved above average, which is a bit of a, 
and advanced metrics. Um, Vegas has him as essentially the number three betting favorite to win the Vesna right now. You've got uh, Linus Olmark at Boston, the overwhelming like minus 4,000 <laughs> the betting favorite to win the Vesna. You've got Ilya Sorokin uh, for the Islanders at plus 1,500 and then uh, Connor Hallibuck and UC Saros at plus 3,400. Those odds are from a couple of days ago. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday. So, I mean, I, I think he should be a finalist. I think he has carried this team to a record of 10 games over 500, considering the players that are around him. I think he is one of the top five goaltenders in the NHL, basically three to four years now running straight. And I, But I don't think he deserves to win it. Um, I, I don't think he has a chance to win it. Where do you fall on on UC Saros and, the, and his opportunity to win the Vesna? Yeah, he definitely should be a finalist. I don't think he's going to he's going to win it. And I, you just feel bad for him because this seems to be how it goes for him. He has a fantastic year. The numbers are off the charts and there's always someone that has just like a breakout year. Linus Olmark this year, uh, Shesterkin, I believe it was last year, or the year before Connor Hellebuck two years ago. Like you just feel bad for him because every year where he's like he has a legitimate case. There's this crazy anomaly where it's like someone just comes out of nowhere and has like a career year that year, and you, you, it's hard to argue that he should he should win it. But I'll, I'll do I'll do some more. These are a little bit maybe some advanced metric stats or I like whatever. It. I like it. Um, he leads the NHL. These are from Money Puck, by the way. He leads the NHL in goals saved above expected and wins above replacement. He's second mm. in puck freezes. He's third in goals saved above expected per sixty. He's he has the fourth most starts with a save percentage of nine hundred or better. He's sixth in high danger save percentage. He's played the second most minutes of any goalie in the league, but I think behind Connor Hellebuck. Um, he's made 100, 100 more saves than the next closest player. He's faced 111 more shots than the next closest player. And then of all the goalies to average 30 or more shots against per game, only four have a higher save percentage. Linus Olmark, Philip Gustafson, Ilya Sorokin, and Connor Hellebuck. What, what is UC, does UC Saros win the Vesna trophy if he's playing on a I don't I'm not even gonna put him on Boston because Boston is on another planet, but like just put him <laughs> on like a you know, Colorado. Put him on Vegas, put him on any team, Edmonton, put him on Edmonton. If UC Saros is on one of the top five rosters in the NHL, I think he wins the trophy. Oh, hands down, because he's gonna get a, a ton more goal support than he does in Nashville. And I think that's the that's the big thing that's keeping him back. Yeah, his numbers are really good, but if he just got a little bit more goal support, and like we said, 15 losses in one goal games, if he had a better offense in front of him that was putting up more goals, he wouldn't have to do everything. If he was on Colorado or Vegas, hands down, he, he would be a, he would win a Vezina or two just because those ta- those rosters are so talented, and he those are the kind of rosters that he needs to be playing on in order to get the recognition. It's kind of like Roman Yossi, even Pecorino a few years ago. Because they play for the National Predators, it was going to be hard for them to win one of those individual performance awards. They actually did because they had fantastic seasons, but it's just one of those cases where it's Nashville. What are you going to do? You, you can't fight the small market bias, and you can't fight playing with, with a team that, I don't, I don't even know. I'm running out of words to just say how good UC Saros is. <laughs> he, he is. He is in his prime, and we have talked a lot about moving him in the offseason because if you're going to do the rebuild, you need to change coaches. You're changing GMs. You've made all the big deadlines. You've acquired the draft picks, and and like sort of the the big final push up the mountain, pushing the boulder up the mountain, is getting rid of UC Saros and and trying to acquire some something really big in return, whether that's a a top flight young prospect or elite level draft capital, whatever it might be. 
have you has your opinion changed because they played well enough with some of the young players? Obviously, Carrier, Yossi, Johansson, Forsberg, like four of the most important players on the team are ideally healthy next year with all of the young talent developing around him. Have you changed your opinion on what the future should hold for UC Soros in terms of like, hey, if they get the right coach and the right situation, this team could be... I mean, look, Winnipeg and Dallas have first-year coaches. First-year coaches in the NHL do very well. Uh, is, is there... Have you changed your opinion on what they should do with UC Soros because of how the season has played out? Hey, okay, so I want to clarify something. I have I have some people on, on Twitter that are honestly coming at me, but just kind of taking jabs or whatever. I, I was never... I never wanted them to trade UC Soros. I said, if you're going full rebuild, which we thought they were doing, if you were going full rebuild, it made no sense to hold on to Soros because if the team was going to be bad, why not go out and get the bounty of, of draft picks of prospects that you could have gotten for Soros? Now that we see what this team is capable of with some of the younger players, who most of them should be on this roster next year, if they get the right head coach, even if John Hines is the head coach, I think it makes more sense to hold on to Saros and keep him because he's clearly shown over the last three years that he didn't, just, it wasn't just a one-off year where he had a really good year. Right. He is a legitimate perennial Vezina caliber goalie every year. I think it makes sense to keep him because clearly we've seen what he can do. He can almost drag this team into the playoffs by himself. If you surround him with more scoring talent and maybe you play a little bit tighter defense in front of him, imagine how good this team can be. So I think they should keep him. And I, I, I was never on the on the train of sell Saros. Now, like I said, if they were going full rebuild, it made right. no sense to hold on to him. But he's 27. I believe he has two more years left on his contract after this year. By the time he by the time that contract ends, you would think. You would think Askarov would be close to being ready, and if not, maybe you re-sign Saros to another to another deal and you have Askarov back him up for a year or two. I think it just it plays out almost too perfectly to have two or three more years of Saros at an elite level. And then if you're sold on him being the, the goalie, the long-term goalie after that, you re-sign him and you trade Askarov and you get back a bunch of picks and prospects. Or if you're convinced that Askarov is the guy, then you trade Saros and you bring back a bunch of picks and prospects. It's it's a good situation to be in, basically. So if you were to try to trade him, like you'd have to extend him at 29 years old. He's 27 now, so two more years, 29. I, you'd have to either sign him and then trade him to get the value. Otherwise, he just walks and signs a big contract. You get nothing for him, which is still possible if Askarov, Askarov, excuse me, uh, is ready to to play. So they, they are entering like they're kind of in this no man's land of going for it with with all these stars coming back. I, I think and we're going to spend a lot of time this offseason debating this about who of these young players can actually replicate. This was the entire conversation last season. Can Matt Duchesne replicate? Can Roman Yossi replicate? Can Philip Forsberg re replicate? The answer is no to all of them. The answer was no. And we said, you better expect regression. Injury for Forsberg, always a concern. Like, Yossi missing time, that's different. He still played at, at a Yossi level. There's no question about that. Um, but Johansson regressed. Mikhail Granlin regressed. Everybody regressed. So the question is, can we expect 82 games from Yuso Parsonen? Can we expect 82 games from Fabro and Carrier? Can we ex and, and getting better? Can we expect Tommy Novak at 25 years old to take another step forward? Can we expect... I think it's okay to say things like, I think Tomasino is going to be better. I think Igor Afanasyev could be a, a member of the starting lineup next year. I think there's some pieces that there's some logic to it, but we're going to spend all summer debating whether or not this is replicable by some of these young players. And your answer to that question could be tied to what you should do with UC Soros. 
Because if you think all those guys are going to stay healthy, the veteran stars, and they're going to be good, and all the young players can replicate this, and you like the new coaching staff, or I, to me, if you keep John Hines, then you definitely keep UC Soros. If you get rid of John Hines, then it's more likely in my mind that you could consider or entertain the possibility of trading Soros, knowing that you're going to suck. But to, we, we just got done saying this. It's an attractive place to be if all those veterans are healthy, the young players are continuing to develop, and UC Soros stays on the team. But it all hinges on 74. If you do not have 74, you're probably not nearly as attractive for a young coach to come in and try to win right away. Because again, we see first-year coaches win a lot in the NHL. And with with Soros, it's a very attractive job, in my opinion. Uh, Nash People love Nashville. Like Hockey people love living and working in Nashville. That, that's it. People are going to love yeah. work. People have always loved working for and with David Poyle. I think people are going to love working for and with Barry Trotz. Doesn't mean they're going to win a cup. Doesn't mean they're going to make the right move. But I think it's an attractive position to go out and get the best candidate for the job if... In fact, they make a move on John Hines. So, um, and if you don't have if you don't have Soros, and you're getting rid of John Hines, to me, the logical, I guess, yeah. connecting the dots, the logical thing is Carl Taylor because he yeah. knows this team and he knows better than anyone else who he can plug in, who he can call up, and stuff like that. So, I'm not saying that if John Hines goes and UC Soros is going, I think it, it would behoove them to to hold on to him as long as they can because he is a yearly Vezina candidate and he plays really well and he's an all-world goalie. It would it would make no sense unless you just you get an offer you can't refuse of multiple first-round picks and high-level prospects. I, I think Saros is on this roster next year, and maybe if they if they get a new head coach next year and they suck, maybe he's an option at the trade deadline. Then maybe then you sell him off somewhere because you know he's really good. We don't want to waste him here. We're not going to be competitive this year. Maybe not next year. Then it maybe makes more sense. But I think this roster right now. If everything goes right, it can be competitive next year, and I think it would just make more sense to keep Saros a part of that that nucleus yeah. that they have back. Yeah, yeah. A uh, couple couple things we mentioned this last week. If you're going to keep John Hines, you better bring Carl Taylor onto the staff. You have to keep UC Saros, and you have to bring Carl Taylor onto the staff so that in case you need to make a switch midway through, Carl Taylor is still your guy, and you don't disrupt yeah. you don't disrupt the AHL. Also, quick quick uh, side note here: Who has firsthand working knowledge of how good? Yaroslav Askarov could be. That would be oh, Carl Taylor. Oh, that's right, Carl Taylor. Um, speaking of Linus Olmark, uh, the Boston Bruins, um, they beat Washington. They beat the Caps 5-2 on Tuesday evening. Uh, they are 13-1 and in their last 14 games. That one loss, of course, coming to Nashville. Um, 133 points, new NHL record. 64 wins, new NHL record. This is the greatest regular season team in the history of the sport. I, I just want to make sure we reiterate what we're seeing. And if they we, only lost multiple games, like consecutive games, three times this year, 12 regular, 12 regulation losses. That's three, just hard to wrap like your a, head around. Three seems like a lot. <laughs> well, they had a three game losing streak and then they lost uh, consecutive games one other time. Uh, they are red hot right now. And what's funny about this, because we had a, we had the Tampa Bay Lightning do this, I think a couple of years ago, right? Where they were just elite in the regular season, one of the best teams of all time, and then run out of the run out of the playoffs in four games, right? By like Columbus in the first round. This team will be defined entirely by what it does in the postseason now. Like even though they own every single record in the regular season, this is how fickle fans are and how fickle history is in sports. They are only going to be defined by how what they accomplish. If they win the Eastern Conference, then it'll be justified and they'll be one of the greatest teams of all time. I don't think they have to win the cup to do that. If they win the cup, 
they will be considered the I think the greatest team ever assembled. That 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 is what Boston has done this year. And what I want to see, and I said this year, what I said, I said this weeks ago, and I it stands true today. What the NHL desperately needs is for the Edmonton Oilers to play the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup final. This league needs the greatest regular season team ever assembled. A couple of villains on that team too, right? A couple of guys that are easy to hate. And Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, the best scoring tandem of our generation, on a national stage, if they want to get people into this game, just like the women's Final Four, just like all other sports that are in this sort of growth phase, they need their stars on the biggest stage. They this league needs Edmonton and Boston in the in the Stanley Cup final. And and that's what it needs if it wants to grow and continue to expand its 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 interest level across the country. No, I agree. I mean, Connor McDavid is widely considered the the best player in the league right now, probably best player in the world. It 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 would make it would make the NHL's life easier to showcase him as much as they can on a national stage. But I mean, Boston's so entertaining to watch. I mean, 133 points, 64 <laughs> wins. I mean, it just Nuts. it's that team is so crazy and they're doing it with Jim Montgomery who I don't know how long he was out of, out of the game for. He got fired by Dallas and he was uh, two or three years I think. But it's just it's just such a great story. They're like a redemption story for Jim Montgomery. A great story that they're doing it with with two goalies, Jeremy Swayman and Linus Olmark, who before this year no one really knew who they were. They have so much talent like I, it would it would be great if that was the Stanley Cup final. I don't think it's going to happen just because Edmonton gets in its own way so often. But I mean, th- that would be fantastic if it was Colorado and and Boston. That would be fun to watch too. I mean, yeah, that would be good. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm kind of rooting for Seattle. I would love to see LA Tolton play in a Cup final just to kind of stick it in in John Hines's face again. But I mean, there's a lot of intriguing matchups out there. But that, yeah, I mean, Edmonton. Versus Boston, the Stanley Cup final would be the best case scenario for the NHL because you get to display the best team in the league and the best player in the league, and, and maybe even the second best player in the league with Drysaitel. They, they and my God, goals, 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 goals—the top two scoring teams. In yeah, if you the like league. offense, man. Yeah. Um. All right. So I, I have not, I have not written down, I guess, all the Eastern Conference matchups, but you can include the Eastern Conference if you like. I've written down the potential and likely Western Conference matchups. The only um, two in the East that I'm interested in are New Jersey versus New York and Toronto and Tampa Bay. Uh, but yeah, I like both of those. By the way, uh, Pittsburgh choking at home to Chicago with one game to go in the regular season. Just want to point Glorious. out. Just want to point out how good that is on both sides because there are two other teams. <laughs> there are two other teams that could finish ahead of ahead behind Chicago, and it could push Chicago into the third spot for Connor Bedard. And a win over Pittsburgh basically keeps Pittsburgh out of the playoffs right now. So just want to point out, if you're looking for some silver linings and some things to enjoy as a Preds fan, the fact that the fact that Pittsburgh choked at home to Chicago and Chicago won, Chicago winning is bad for Chicago and Pittsburgh losing is bad for Pittsburgh. Great all around outcome there for Preds fans. <laughs> uh, if you're just if you're just really cynical and need something to root for, here are the potential matchups in the Western Conference as of today. This could this could change, but unlikely. Uh, Minnesota at Dallas. Um, in the two, three matchup in our division, Colorado, of course, will win the division. It looks like they will take on probably Seattle, uh, Los Angeles at Edmonton Kings and the Oilers. And then Winnipeg and Vegas would be the matchup to me. It's not even like, like Minnesota and Dallas sounds fairly boring to me. (laughs) Like Minnesota's 24th in goals, uh, not a particularly great offensive team. 
you know, the Jets are not particularly all that great. I don't think they're going to beat Vegas. Vegas is not even a top 12 scoring team. The Kings are not a top 10 scoring team. To me, it's not even close what series is the most interesting in the Western Conference. It is Colorado hosting Seattle. That, oh, that for is, sure. That is by far. First of all, we we'll get to see a new thing, which is Seattle. But a lot of young, fun talent for Seattle. They play a fast style. Colorado is the defending champs with all their speed. It is not even close. Seattle and Colorado will be the best first-round matchup in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, if that's what happens, which, as of right now, it looks like that will happen. And congrats to Seattle on a 100-freaking-point season in their second year in the league. What a year by Seattle. Yeah, and I remember last year being like, I'm not impressed with what Seattle's doing. They clearly, they're just going to suck for the first four years before they start contending. And no, they're they're right up there. They're the, I think they're the second-highest-scoring team. Yep. Excuse me. They're the second-highest-scoring team in the, in the Western Conference. And I mean... Oh, yep. Colorado was injured, uh, had a lot of players injured for a lot of the season, so they're not fully exactly what we expected them to be, but they're right up there, too. It, that's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a fast game. It's going to be a highly skilled game to watch. I think Dallas and Minnesota can be entertaining. I think that'll be more, it'll be more of like a a, a grinding kind of game than yeah. it will be a high-scoring game. I think Vegas is just going to run over Winnipeg. I mean, unless Connor, <clears throat> Connor Hellebuck has a UC Saros-type performance every night like vegas should win that one easily edmonton and los angeles that that could probably be entertaining but i think it's just edmonton's just going to run away with it so colorado and seattle i would put that as my probably my number one series to watch in the postseason and the number two for me would probably be toronto and tampa bay toronto has a lot of blue in that series uh i just seattle everything about seattle colorado is interesting um seattle has 13 players with 30 points or more. They've got young players. They've got defensemen who score, Vince Dunn. They've got uh, veterans who come that like to, to knock some heads around that have experience. They, they've got sort of everybody. They've got every piece of the puzzle. I just don't think they're good enough yet to beat a team like Colorado. But again, when you look at the regular season, Colorado and Seattle, a first place division champion and a wild card team could be within a couple points of each other. By the end, it, it could be like, you know, whatever, 107 to 102. Like basic, I mean, from a point standpoint, over 82 games, Colorado and Seattle basically even in terms of how well they played this season. So I give Seattle, yeah, I, don't, a, I give them a puncher's chance in that one. But yeah, I don't think it's like like not last year where no one gave Nashville a chance just because right. Saros was injured and stuff. Like Seattle clearly has a, an entertaining team and a skilled team. I mean, you look at one, two, three, four, five, six players with 20 goals or more. Jared McCann with a 40 goal, 70 point season. You have Ellie Tolvin in the power play specialist. Like you have. Really good, solid defensemen. Like it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be entertaining, yeah. and that's and that's what I like about this matchup. Is I think normally it'd be like, oh, it's Colorado, they're gonna run away with it. Like Seattle can give anybody in the playoffs a run for their money, and just a lot of soothing color tones and palettes with both those uniforms. You know, possibly like, the best jerseys in the yeah. NHL. I agree. It's certainly the best expansion branding in any sport ever. Like, like it's when you so talk, smooth, and it's just like yep. it's it's it's. It's very visually appealing, which uh, when you're watching on a, on a TV screen and sometimes when you're watching like a national broadcast and they're very quick with the camera transitions and stuff like having a, a color palette like Seattle is, is very aesthetically pleasing. It's very aesthetically pleasing and it matches sort of the surrounding area. It matches what the Mariners are doing in Seattle. It matches the Seahawks color scheme as well. I think they did a great job with the name and everything. And guess what? 100 points and you're in the playoffs and you're playing the defending champs in the first round with a lot of good young talent. It's going to be a fun series. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Predators fans react to this and what the interest level is in the city in terms of what, what playoff ratings, playoff games do in terms of TV ratings. You know, the Memphis Grizzlies are in the playoffs. You got the NFL draft coming up. 
you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. I'm just, it'll be, you know, Nashville SC is playing pretty well. It'll be you interesting. You bet they're going to keep tabs on Ellie Tolvanen. I, I, I imagine. Um, I just <laughs> am curious. It'll be interesting to see how this city is connected to the playoffs or not and what they, what they feel like they should. It's the greatest tournament in sports, better than March Madness, in my opinion. So I hope people are watching. There's really great players on all these teams. There's historic teams. There's historic players in Edmonton. And I guess, I, like, it's easy... It's easy to root against Ellie Tolvanen, but it's also easy to root for Matias Ekholm. <laughs> so, uh, again, Edmonton and Boston is what I'm rooting for. We'll have a full Stanley Cup preview, playoff preview for you next week and a statistical deep dive into this 2023 Predators team um, next week on the show. Otherwise, go to Jaspers, everybody. Free parking, amazing food, great place to hang out before work, during work, after work, you know, just anything. Weekends, family, kids, date night. You know, hanging out with the guys, watching the games, whatever you want to do, they've got something for you. So make sure you go check out Jasper's, our great and amazing sponsor. Uh, they support us. So please, you guys out there, go support them. Michael, we've had a lot of people say, look, you've been telling us about Jasper's for two years now. And I went and tried it and I couldn't believe how long I waited to try it. So just just go do it. I trust me. I am. I guarantee you will have fun and you'll have a good experience and you will enjoy it. So go check out Jasper's. Michael, where can people find you and interact with you and tell you all your UC Saros takes are ridiculous. You can do that on Twitter at MG Sports underscore, which I would highly recommend following just because if, if John Hines is released after the season or any breaking news happens after the final game of the regular season, uh, that's where we will have it probably, I don't want to say before anyone else, but right up there with everybody else. Are, are they going to, I have not gotten the press release yet, but I'm assuming Saturday or Sunday, the regular season ends on Friday evening against Colorado. I'm assuming there'll be some sort of press conference and locker clean out. So we'll have an opportunity to, yeah. Sort of. I mean, it'll be David Poyle, essentially one of his last. Locker well, cleanout is usually about two days after the regular season, yeah. but there was, I believe it was last year where they waited like over a week or something like that. So who knows with this yeah. team. Yeah, working out some contract details there. So we shall see. Um, and that they, they generally, um, David Poyle has explained it in the past. I don't remember exactly what he said, but they work through, a, they have a very specific process where they talk to the coaches and then they talk to each player. They sort of have these exit, this exit process to the regular season before all the players head back all over the world, basically. Uh, yeah. we, don't see, we don't see him again for a while, but uh, we'll make sure we got all that covered for you next week on the show. Otherwise, uh, rate, review, subscribe, share the product, tell somebody about it, support good journalism, of course. Uh, follow Michael Gallagher. You can get to me at Braden Gall. Thanks for hanging out with us uh, again. And uh, go to Jaspers, everybody. Okay? Go to Jaspers. Thanks for listening. This has been the Gold Standard. Have a great weekend, everybody, right here on the 440 Sports Network.